Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, Season 2. I'm your forever coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and we are all here weekly to share the ups, downs, and all-arounds of the wild world of parenting. A safe space, a Lego-free space, to vent, to inspire, and well, perhaps this is the only adult conversation you hear all day. What is Adia doing? A, B, C, D. <laughs> is that funny? So each week, I will be joined by a fellow striving, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We learn together. We grow together. Hell, we cheers with an adult bevy when necessary. I get it. I am human and failures simply happen. I am not shiny and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am at its best. Even when the dishes aren't done, there's crayon on the wall, and well, my hair hasn't been washed in forever. I am Busy Mumsy. Hello, my beautiful Busy Mumsies. Ash here. (sighs) Wow. We are at the end of November. Just an FYI, my birthday might be tomorrow. It just might be tomorrow. Another year wiser, another year around the sun. I am grateful for it. And I'm also grateful for this next guest for saying yes and coming onto the show as it is a first, as I get to say, aloha. We are welcoming someone who is situated in Hawaii. Oh my gosh, that's a bucket list for me. This is epic. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Rupa Wong onto the Busy Mumsy podcast. Dr. Rupa Wong is an Ivy League trained, board certified pediatric ophthalmologist, a mama bear to three kiddos, a wife, a surgeon, an entrepreneur, and the managing partner of Honolulu Eye Clinic for the past 14 years. I know, I know what you're thinking. How on God's green earth do I know all these amazing women? It's insane. I actually haven't met her yet. I'm not going to lie. Haven't met her yet. And um, I am just really lucky that she said yes when I reached out to her via Instagram and then sent a good old email. And um, yeah, that is basically how I am rolling here at the Busy Mumsy podcast. I am grateful for it. I am so intrigued by how she is juggling it all because she wears so many hats and she is very much an inspiration. So let's dive on into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Dr. Rupa Wong, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, this is a first for the podcast. So let's talk about the time zone situation for you and I right now. Yes. I'm in Uganda and you are located where? Hawaii. So we are what, exactly 12, 13 hours apart? 13 hours. I've, do you not see the toothpicks holding my eyeballs open right now? <laughs> you are like all fresh and coffee infused, perhaps, or whatever you like to have in the morning. Yes. She holds the coffee up, and I have my cup of tea right now. So okay. there we go. And um, yeah, you know, you, you are ready to take on the day. Did, before we um, pressed record, did you say you had your joggers on? Were, were you out working out already? Uh, Not this morning. Usually I do, but I just came back from a four-day academic conference. I came in last night and I'm still kind of getting my bearings to Hawaii time zone from the mainland. (laughs) Wow. 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 Well, I have to say Hawaii is on my bucket list. I have not been. It is 
it is on the list. So if my husband is listening, just look at Expedia. Just look at the tickets. I'm fine. Any any day of the week, I'm ready to go. I'm sure my daughter would love it too. It's an amazing place. I've lived here for 15 years and I still pull over. My children make fun of me every time I see a rainbow. I'm, I'm not hardened to the fact that there are rainbows weekly. I still take a picture of them every single time. Oh my gosh. So wait, so 15 years. So where are you originally from? I'm originally from North Carolina, not as exciting. And you yeah. are an East Coast girl. Oh, I am, yes. North Carolina. And then I trained, I went to medical school and did my residency in New York City and did my fellowship training in Boston. And my husband and I met in New York and he is from Hawaii. His family's been here since the 1800s. So he just was really desperate to get back. And that's what we moved back in 2008. Okay, so we are officially kindred spirits because I, not that my husband took me to Hawaii, underline yet, but I met my husband in New York City and then he dragged me back to where he's from. Yes, and the, my mom kept saying, isn't it supposed to be the opposite that the husband goes wherever the wife is from? Yeah, yeah I, I actually thought that as well. But we, so my husband's actually originally from uh, the UK. So he was he was born and raised in Leicester. And um yeah, so we we packed our bags and we moved to London in 2016. So, you know, a- anything for love, right? Anything exactly. for love. Exactly. <laughs> well, again, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I know that you are limited for time because you wear many, many hats. Uh, as a physician, a private practice owner, an author, a mama bear to three. How on God's green earth are you juggling and balancing all of this? It's, you know, one of the biggest questions I get, especially from my female physician colleagues and actually really interestingly from the male colleagues too. So I love that this is entering the the conversation for a lot of men that they are thinking about this work-life harmony and integration and also pursuing their passions in different ways. So I'm really, really clear about what I want to achieve and each of the things that I'm doing. Where is my time best spent? So let's take for family, for example. My time is not best spent doing the dishes or laundry. So I will outsource that. I don't love it. It doesn't give me joy. I would rather cook for my kids and drive them around. I'd rather be chauffeur for them because my kids are 10, 12, and 14. When they are trapped in a car with me is the absolute best time to get them to open up and to talk about their day. They don't do it. Even though we sit down and eat meals together, they don't necessarily do it. Then, So for me, that's a high priority. I know that's not necessarily the same for everyone else, but I'm very specific about what needs me in each field. So for my practice or for my businesses with my women's medical conference, what is it only I can do? And then I do that thing and I delegate and outsource the rest. But thank you for just being completely transparent and saying I outsource what does not serve my time and my purpose and how to give. I love that because I know that there's a lot of people that especially live in the shiny squares of Instagram that like to say that they do all of this, but they also have like a mound of help behind them. And it's just that mixed single signal and that mixed message that like, I'm sorry, I have help. My hands are up. Like I know what serves me. There's a reason why I moved to Uganda and that was to get support. And it's, it's like, I have it. And I've always been like, nope, we got it now. And Adia is loved by me, my husband, and a nanny. 
Exactly. And that's where I think then it sets the bar really unattainably high when you are looking at these squares and you don't see how much help goes into achieving that picture perfect grid post. Right. And so I've been very honest when my kids were young, I've never had a nanny, but we had a babysitter. I mean, sometimes the babysitter was working 40 to 50 hours a week. They didn't live with us, but we had so much help with, um, with that because I needed it and my husband needed it. Well, I want to say that you have an absolutely perfect Instagram, Instagram square. When I saw that you had the kids in your office and that they were not like being raised at your work, but like you provided them a safe space for them to be so that you could be mom, but also businesswoman. Can you like go back to like when that, I mean, I'll be very honest with you. When I saw that, I was like hook, line and sinker. I need to meet you. I love that. So it was, it was crazy. We moved, we got married in January of 2008. We moved from Boston to Hawaii in July of 2008. So, you know, six months later, found out we were pregnant the first weekend we moved because we were trying. I was already 31 at the time. I wanted to have kids. I knew I wanted to have more than one child. And we found out we were pregnant and we were looking at our practice space. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do nine months from now? We're building and growing our private practice together. But I know I, I want to also be a mom and I want to be a present mom and I want to be there for my child. And I looked at this storage space and it was just full of junk, absolutely full of junk lockers and old old equipment. And it was crazy. And I told to my husband, I was like, I think this would be the perfect space for a nursery. It's It was very small, maybe, I don't know, eight feet by eight feet, like very small, but you don't need a ton of space for a baby. So we just, the hardest thing was just clearing it all out. And we had absolutely no money because we'd sunk everything into the business. So I bought stuff on Craigslist. I bought fabric and sewed curtains to close up the area between where we actually needed to put equipment. And I got a changing table from Target, a armchair, a nice fluffy rug and a toy chest. And that was it. And I hired the most wonderful person who came into the office and took care of my baby. So it helped me in so many different ways because first I knew that my baby was safe. My oldest son was absolutely safe just down the hall from me. Second, I never had to pump, which was amazing. I could just breastfeed and use that time. And I know nursing and breastfeeding is not possible for every mother, but it was something I wanted to try. And and having the baby so close to me, having all of my babies so close to me allowed me to do that. I don't, I couldn't have done it if I'd had to pump. I made barely any milk. So it was amazing. The babysitter would be there. The baby would take naps, whichever baby I had. And there's so many things around our office. There was the art museum. There was the little we play, the gym. There was music classes. And so the sitter would take um, my kids to all the little various things and then come back for lunch. And we would all eat lunch together in our staff break room. And so the office aunties, you know, we call them aunties. Everybody in Hawaii is an auntie. And, And we would all eat lunch together. So it just gave us so much bonding time. So my children also then we're raised knowing exactly what I do, what my husband does, what takes us away from them, which I think was really important too. Did you ever get any sort of backlash from like 
a client coming in or not, not I, I, I mean, backlash is probably a bit too harsh, but kind of like maybe that, uh, do, you, do you think they really should be here kind of vibe? So it's funny. The, when I had the idea, my husband was completely against it. He can't see, I have a lot of crazy ideas and he couldn't see it. And we purchased the practice from a retiring physician. And I think he was a little bit like, what, what, what do you think? That's, that's unusual. I don't think, I don't know if my patients are going to like that. I also created a separate pediatrics waiting room, which he hadn't had either because he had an adult practice. But I have to say, maybe just my patients self-selected, but I never heard anything negative from my patients ever. And that might also be being in Hawaii because it's very family centered. There's a lot of extended living in Hawaii. Um, it's just everything is focused on the family unit. So I actually had patients that would schedule their appointments around when my children were taking naps because they insisted on going and seeing my kids in the nursery, which was which was great for me. <laughs> so so how did you as a mom evolve as your family grew? I mean, because I feel like I mean, after doing, you know, my, my sitting around and Googling you and seeing all the amazing events that you speak at and, and, and all of that, I go, how on earth, like, how, how did you kind of take like the bull by the horns and find confidence to do this and really still evolve and grow as your family did? I think probably central to it was my dad. It, growing up, he always just used to say, what's the worst someone can say? No, well, that's not, that's not the worst thing. So it just gave me that confidence to just pave my own path and create a nursery in my office or bring my three month old baby to a, a, you know, women's or a medical conference, not a women's medical conference. It was a medical conference. And I would sit outside and just nurse my baby and be paying attention to the conference. And at that time I was the only one that was bringing my baby to conferences 15 years ago. So I, I don't want to say I didn't ask for permission per se. I certainly didn't. But I just I think I had that freedom and the confidence to try it and figured, well, if these aren't my people, then this is not part of the community. This is not the community I want to be a part of. Well, no, it's wild because you're talking about a time that is like, I don't know. I, I feel like we all got this voice a bit more confidence after we were in such a lockdown and, and such a big question mark of 2020 to to now. And to really think back to 2008, 2000, you know, 12 even, and you know, it's, it's a different time. It's still a, it's a very, it's a much trickier time than it is now in a way of women and their voices. Absolutely. And also women and integration of work. I think it's a lot more accepted, right? With, with the lockdown and the fact that we were all doing homeschooling and juggling, work at the same time, I think it started to bleed into, you know, family life started to bleed into to work life and that presence became more known. Whereas before, I think it was these isolated spheres. And that's also why I don't love the concept of balance. It, to me, it always just brings up this seesaw with work on one side and family on the other. And there's no mythical equilibrium of balance per se. But I, I do love that these conversations are more present now. We're seeing it more, but it was it was very different back then. And I think I didn't even consider it. I don't even remember. It was interesting. One of my staff members told me, and she reminded me that I interviewed her while breastfeeding one of my children. And to me, that was just my norm. You know, my children were incorporated in my 
in my business and I was doing her interview. I literally didn't even remember that because to me that was normal. I, I feel like like you are someone that like has spearheaded something back then that you didn't even know that you were doing because I still like, you know, and I've had so many people come on the, on the podcast that advocate for breastfeeding and, and advocate for, you know, equal, you know, rights of, you know, with, with, you know, pay and everything. And you're just like, oh my gosh, we're like fighting for this now. And you were just doing it. I just did it. We're just like getting on with it and no, like no questions asked. I, I just like, is, is this just a confidence that you have just always had, or this is just the support from your husband too. That's like, or is he like pretty much gobsmacked by you as well? And like, holy hell, I married superwoman. He is, he is so sweet. He is, he is so supportive and he is sometimes, I mean, he just sent me a, a text of, I'm in some article, video article talking about some new technology for children's lazy eye. I mean, he's, he's just such a support and he's always so proud of what I've accomplished and he loves to just be the behind the scenes guy. He doesn't want to ever be in the limelight. So I think that of course really helped. I definitely did not grow up having a ton of confidence. I grew up in the South. I was a you know, someone of color. It just was very different growing up. And I think it really took me into my 30s to feel, well, you know, if these aren't my people, that's okay. It still bothers me a little because I am a people pleaser in general, but I ultimately realized I need to do what's right for me and what's right for my family. I think it maybe honestly took having kids to feel that level of this is my unit and this is who I need to protect is this unit right here. And then did you find that through having kids, like you wanted to focus a bit more on child health care and, and going that route within your practice? So I was trained as a pediatric ophthalmologist even before I had kids. And oh. I just always known I since I was 13 that whatever medical specialty I did, whether it was ophthalmology or ear, nose and throat or oncology, I thought of all of these different things. I knew I wanted to specialize in kids. I've just always loved working with kids. It's been my passion. But that being said, I do think I became a better pediatric ophthalmologist once I had children because I could understand the fear and the mentality as a parent of how these issues and these problems can just really sit in your mind. So I think I became a lot more empathetic. I think I was a good ophthalmologist, a pediatric ophthalmologist before, but I think I became more empathetic. And I think that allowed me to connect with the parents of my patients better. Not saying that you have to have children to be a good pediatric specialist, but for me, I think it helped me. How do you switch off the brain of working with kids and their well-being all day long, and then you come home and there are your three gorgeous kids. I know they're, they're a little bit older now, so you're not, you know, they're, they're not swaddled and, and all of that. So, you know, just limbs are flying everywhere and they're bouncing off the walls because they had too much cake, I hope. And <laughs> how do you like do the switch off or is it like kind of a constant like heightened you know, internal instinct of like, how is their well-being? And, oh, wait, no, this might be wrong. Or like, how do you do that? It is. And I think I'm also a fixer. I'm a doer. I move very quickly. So I have to really intentionally create the space. And this I have to do with my husband too, because I'm the managing partner for our practice. And so a lot of times he or my kids just want to vent. They just want to tell me about their day. They do not want me to try to fix it. And um, I, one of the best things that one of my friends said is, 
her daughter said to her, and she's older, she's a teenager, said, mom, I, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. And so now I, I'm very intentional about thinking about that when my kids are approaching me and not to be too over the top in the way that I analyze everything that they're going through. Is this normal? Is this not? Should I intervene in this way or not? But it is hard. It is hard. And I think clinically, sometimes just the patience that's required in my field of pediatric ophthalmology, there's a lot of patience that's required. And I found at a certain point in my career that I then had nothing left for my own children. So it's where I stepped back a little bit clinically. I was working five and a half days a week. It was a lot. So now I'm in clinic two days a week. I'm in the operating one day a week. I have administrative time that's carved out, which I didn't have before. So I think just being reflective about that and what I needed to be present for my children and for my patients was very important and not prescribing to what others were doing, just what I needed. I mean, can you share a little bit further with the kids being older? How has your parenting like changed? It's really, it's so interesting. So I always thought, oh, and everyone says that, oh, it's, it's, it's so hard when they're young, it gets better when they're older. I don't want to say it gets better. There's no better, right? It's not easier for sure. It's different. I, yes, I'm not carting around a diaper bag and a million things anymore and snacks and all of that, but I am very acutely aware that things that I do, things that I say, the language that I use really is going to shape at this point with them being 10, 12, and 14, their self-concept and their trajectory. And that's where I really, I feel that burden even more so now than than when they were younger. I think when you're young, you give them love and you keep them alive. <laughs> but, right. but, but now, yeah. My daughter's three and a half. I'm just like every day, we good? Okay, we're good. Exactly. We're good. Now, okay, the, the leg is still attached. We're good. We're good. Exactly. And you're trying to give them the opportunities. But I think when they start going through navigating all these other issues with, you know, school and academics and friends and, you know, their extracurriculars, you're just very mindful of what are they taking from that and just really trying to make sure you're shaping them to be good people, good and kind people that are going to leave the world a better place. That's that's my hope for them. And that's what we're trying to instill. But it's I feel that more now than when they were younger. So I think my parenting has shifted in that way. How do you handle and manage the social media side of it as you have a huge presence and platform on the tiny, shiny uh, squares? How is that for your three kids? So it's something that we debate a lot, my husband and I. He is very social media shy. All his um, accounts are private. We talked about it when I started with my public profile about five years ago. So my children, even at that age, because they were five, seven, and nine, and they were old enough to make a decision, I thought, to ask them, do you want to be in this picture? Do you want to do this video or whatever it was? And so you'll see now mainly everything on my social media is my daughter because she's the only one that wants to do anything. <laughs> they, she, The boys don't want to do anything. So I've gone to conferences, uh, family ones where we've had alumni events. And people said, oh, I forgot that you had two boys also, because usually they don't want to be in, in any photos or in any videos. There, If there are any sponsored, I think there was one company that reached out and wanted to include my children. So I said, I, 
you need to write it into the contract that you're paying them individually. That money is going to go to them and they will then make a decision if they want to be. And I talked about it with them. Do you want to be in it? They're going to pay you this. That's your money. And they decided to pull that money and all three kids and buy themselves a Nintendo Switch. That was what they did. Oh, gosh, I love that. Um, but I, that was their decision. And I would have fully just told the company they don't want to be in it because they don't want the money and that's not worth it. But I wanted them to realize that this is work, but it was certainly not required work. And that was something they had to do on my behalf. It was something if they wanted to do, there's the money for them. And, and they recognize it as such. Even now, if I do a birthday post with one of my boys, I ask them, of course, do you want to be, do you mind being in that? And, and they will say yes or no. So that's basically, usually they allow a birthday post, but that's typically it for the boys. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But I, I, I love that your girl is like front and center. I will ready. take it. She's I'm ready. She's ready for her. Now, academically, I'm sorry. We've got two doctors in the house. It, how are the kids feeling the pressure of mommy and daddy doctors and the academics? Because, I mean, listen, I was not the brightest bulb growing up with school. I actually, I actually spent a lot of time out of it because I didn't want to go. And I convinced my parents that I could go to just dance class. So I, I grew up to be a professional dancer. So I, I put in the training and I would always be like, oh no, I have a dance competition. So I want to go, I, I need to rest. So I got through school. Let's be, let me put it that way. But it wasn't a high priority of mine. Dance was, Broadway was, I got to achieve it. Yay me. But for a household who's got two doctors in the house. Come on, that's some pressure. It, yes, I mean, academics are certainly a priority. None of our three kids want to go into medicine, which is completely fine. They don't want to be doctors, totally, or healthcare adjacent, any of that. They're very clear already, we'll see, about what they want to do. My daughter probably has the most of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I could see her even trying to skip college in the future. But we tell her and we tell all of them that the academics are a priority. They have to at least, it just opens up so many doors that would otherwise be closed. Even if should they choose not to go through them, they're open. And so- right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating yes. for like, let's right, drop right, out right. of school. No. I'm, not. Like, I'm not advocating for that, but I'm, I'm just going to chime in for a hot second and say that- I did drop out of university after two months, but I made my Broadway debut. There was reason behind it. Exactly. But I think that I think that experience is really important. So, like, if my daughter shows an interest in piano, I mean, I will try to get her into as many piano lessons and a camp or whatever. Like, I mean, I just think the experience of it is just so important that you will learn. Totally. I totally agree. And I look at the kids too individually. And I, I really, I think that I can really assess their strengths and where their interests lie. So you know, with my daughter being entrepreneurial, we're going to put her in and also gymnastics. She loves rhythmic gymnastics. She loves dance. I mean, she's in a million different dance classes and spends a lot of time training for rhythmic gymnastics. And so for her, certain things, you know, she might not be in honors geometry like my oldest son is, and that's okay, right? That's all right, because her path is going to be different than my oldest son, who's really heavily into astrophysics and political science, and the middle one who really wants to go into law school. Like, he's got his 12-year-old as his mindset and 
you know, he knows where he wants to go. Dad, I'm going to Harvard. That's this exactly what he said. He told us, I went to Duke and my husband went to Brown. And he says, Mom, Dad, I'm not going to your colleges. I'm going to Harvard because that's where all the presidents went and that I'm going to become the president. So I'm going to Harvard, then I'm going to Yale Law School. He said this like last year. So his goals are set there. It's so funny, but each of them is so different. And so we definitely don't want to push them in any direction. We want to support them so that they are comfortable and they achieve what, you know, if, if my daughter wants to be a Broadway star, that's what we're going to try to support her so that not only can she achieve that, but then also have longevity in the career after that, should she choose. So we want to be able to provide that foundation for her. So I think it's a little bit different because we're certainly not, I'm not the tiger mom that says, okay, you've got to get straight A's and you have to go to all of you three, go to Harvard and all of you three go to blah, blah, blah. That's not what it is. It's really finding the right fit for each kid. And then I think that's really all any parent wants, right? To see your child right. succeed is if they're trying to fit into someone else's box or someone else's notion of where they should be, they're not ultimately going to be happy. And I want them to be happy. Well, I want you to know, because I, I, I have no connections to Harvard and I have no, no connections for your other son, but your daughter. So uh, of another busy mumsy that was on the podcast, I was on Broadway in the show Pippin with her. Her name is Olga Kamransky, and she is a former rhythmic gymnast. And she was a representative for the U.S. team. And she's amazing and wonderful. And she does online classes. Oh, I'm going to have to get that from you after because we have send you. I will send you all of her details because a she's a wonderful human being. Um, she's now based like upstate New York now, but she's she trains the next generation of gymnasts. Oh. Like she, now she like the one thing about the podcast when when I had her on the show, she was just saying like the whole COVID has like opened up this Pandora's box of like I can actually train people globally now, and like people are really learning. She's like, yeah, I wish I could like manipulate and change and help and hands on, but. She now teaches in a way that the, her clients understand. Like it's, I mean, it would be like a nice added value right. to where her daughter is training. Exactly, exactly. And that's where it's, so it's, I mean, that's what's amazing too. I mean, some right. of those things that came out of it. And, you know, we're restricted. We're in Hawaii. We have this great coach who was on the Mexican gymnastics team when she was young. But that's it. There's one in the entire state. There's one gym yeah. in the entire state. So I take her, I try to support her and take her to competitions on, you know, in California and to camps over there. Same, just to be able to encourage her uh, for doing what she loves and what she has set her goals for. So that would be a really great resource. Yeah, no, I, I, I will definitely pop that in an email over to you. And I'll actually put in the show notes as well for anyone that's listening yeah. to this. I'll, I'll put in Olga's busy chat because her busy mom's chat, she really dives into the, you know, helping the, the next generation, which I think is so important. And, you know, what what you're doing in health and helping kids understand their bodies at a, at a young age, especially with their eyes and eyesight. What What are you finding now with the the land of more computers and phones and how, what detriment is that having on kids' eyesight now compared so, to your, you know, earlier clients? So it's, it's really interesting because the statistic is that by 2050, 50% of the global population is going to be nearsighted, which is crazy to think about. And this is a combination of things, but the one thing that's really changed is what we call these modifiable lifestyle factors. 
kids are not outdoors as much. And they have shown in several studies that being outdoors at least one to two hours a day is helpful at slowing nearsightedness down. So nearsightedness is when you need glasses to see far away uh, and not up close. But if you're really, really nearsighted, you need both. You need glasses for far away and up close. But kids are on devices and it's not so much the device itself. It's not the blue light, which there was a lot of concern over uh, during the pandemic and shutdown and um, you know all the homes, home learning. It's not so much the blue light that's problematic. It's the amount of time kids are focusing up close. So my children in their school have, they're given iPads and laptops and every, almost everything, all their homework assignment, everything is online. And what kids tend to do is hold those devices a lot closer than they hold books. They tend to be on them longer than they do when they're reading. So even if both are considered near work, reading a regular book versus being on your laptop or your iPad, they're on it for hours at a time. So trying to instill breaks is really important. Following the 20-20-20 rule is something I recommend for every kid and adult. 20 Every 20 minutes, they take a 20-second break where they look at something 20 feet away. It just allows their, their eyes a t- chance to refocus, to just rest a bit. So it's not that sustained near work, which we're seeing as might be the culprit for nearsightedness. So these are things that we're all noticing in our practices. I can see like Addie is I I actually I think like right now her eyesight's pretty freaking spot on and she can find the tiny little airplanes way, way up in the sky and I'm squinting and I wear contacts. Like I've worn glasses since the sixth grade and this is long before iPads were even around. I am ancient. So I, I look at her and I'm like, okay, great. She didn't get my eyes and she didn't get my husband's eyes because his are really, really rubbish as well. That's is that like a normal thing though? Like, do, do they say like that kind of like our, like my genes play into hers when it yeah. comes to vision? So usually what we'd say, if both parents are nearsighted, there's actually about a one in two chance. So it's not a hundred percent, but it's a one okay. in two chance. And it typically starts to affect about a year younger than when you got. So if you started wearing glasses when you were 11, then you might notice around age 10. The okay. neat thing is before there was really nothing I could offer parents, you know, parents would come in like, what foods can she, you know, he or she eat? Or is there, are there any eye exercises they can do or special glasses to prevent, you know, like someone like your daughter from becoming nearsighted. And now there's actually these eye drops that can be used. It's called low dose atropine. They get specially mixed in a pharmacy. They're pretty available worldwide now. And they can slow the nearsightedness down because you probably remember going in every year and your glasses prescription getting thicker and thicker. And yeah. they may even prevent nearsightedness from happening in kids that are at risk. So it's kind of an, it's a really exciting, interesting time to at least have something else to be able to offer parents. So I do a lot of that. We call it myopia management. Um, myopia is the other word for nearsightedness or nearsightedness control. And so we, we've got something now that we can do. I don't just have to tell parents, well, sorry, um, all you can do is try to limit their screen time. That's, that's very difficult to do or get outdoors more. Yeah, I, I didn't know the outdoors part. I mean, I, I feel like very, very behind and a little bit silly that I didn't know that. So one hour, two hour, go outside to help strengthen the eyes. Absolutely. So it's, it's I mean, in Hawaii, it's very easy. I know in certain parts of the world, it's not as easy, but it doesn't even need to be anything rigorous. It doesn't need to be they're outside for two hours, like playing soccer or football, as they would say in that part of the world. But you can just be sitting there and they're not exactly sure if it's the vitamin D or the dopamine or what it is that's causing 
that slowing, but it's actually helping to slow the growth of the eyeball, the elongation of the eyeball, which is what leads to nearsightedness. Oh my gosh, I can I, I already know what I'm gonna do tomorrow. Be like, all right, let's go outside and sit. I, my kids know. So that's on, you know, my kids are older, so they get we're also very strict with screen time. Um because I am other devices a lot. And I think we live in Hawaii. My goodness, there's so much other stuff they can be doing. Not so much even for the eyes, but just go swim, go ride your bikes, go do something else, be creative. I don't think that our brains evolutionarily have caught up with all of the technology. And I think our brains still like to do things in three dimensions. Uh, so we have a lot of screen time. And so they know part of their checklist that they, they've got to go do something active before they're allowed to have their two hours of screen time on the weekends. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I try to cut the cut to the weekend and then, yeah. and then she gets her Gabby's dollhouse or my little pony. It's one yeah, or the yeah. other. It's, yes. it's yeah. Kind of the where we live right now. Well, Dr. Rupa Wong, what is in the net in the the horizons? What are you working on? What are your hopes, your dreams of your practice? I mean, we, we already know that that one of your kids is going to Harvard. This is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, check um, out ten years. Let's see where that is. <laughs> check, check that one off. But for you as a busy mumsy, what is in the pipeline for you and your practice? So the practice is growing, which is amazing. And we're adding new doctors and, you know, just growing our reach. But I started a women's medical conference called Pinnacle a few years ago with a couple other female physicians. And that is just growing and growing. And we're able to reach more women in healthcare. So it's open to women doctors, even nurses, physician assistants. And it's really to talk about all the business and leadership skills things like this that we're talking about, the time management, the productivity. Can we get a seat at the table if the room is filled with people that don't look like us? How do we do that? How do we negotiate contracts? So that is just growing and we've got really, really exciting things in the pipeline for 2024. So that's that's something I, if anybody is interested, it's open to international, please come join us in May of 2024 in Texas. Well, I will put all those details in the Busy Mumsy show notes. Um, wow. I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to watch all of that unfold from Uganda. Who would have thunk it? You're in Hawaii. I'm in Uganda. Two sunny spots. Two sunny but spots. Feel, but I feel like you're living in a in a very less polluted area than I am. It, 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 I can't complain. I can't complain at all. Absolutely not. Well, thank you so much for your time, your words of wisdom, and you have a glorious day. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Did you like it, Adia? Yes! Oh, the enthusiasm. I love it. Please share your love by giving us a five-star rating, a rockin' review, and please share with any fellow Busy Mumsies. We love hearing from you. So if you want to get in touch, head to the Busy Mumsy show notes for further details and links to the Busy Mumsy website. So long for now. Can you say bye-bye, Adia? Bye-bye, Adia. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.